Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Samechei in Maseches Nazir. I'm very excited. Um, but we're pretty far behind. I do want to dedicate this, Le'ila Nishmas, as always, of Chaim Zev Medlenowitz Zatzal. Also, Rabbi Hornus Day Zatzal. Uh, he was an amazing man. Honey Saffer's uh, father passed away earlier this week. I had the schus of davening next to this man, just uh, past Yom Kippur, and I think maybe the Yom Kippur before that also, because uh, I davened Mevaseret with my buddies slash mentors, Rabbi Isaacson, Rabbi Saffer, Shlita. These guys are my buddies, and they're amazing, amazing people, amazing mentors to me. Big impact on my life. Um, shout out Rabbi Saffer, whose wife is sitting Shiva. This man was a tzaddik. He's in a wheelchair for as long as I can remember. And very, very, very physically compromised uh, in a lot of ways. <clears throat> he sat there the entire Yom Kippur in his wheelchair. I was ne- right next to him at, with a giant magnifying glass. Did not take his eye off the sitter uh, once the entire time. I, I can't even hold a magnifying glass for an hour, <laughs> you know, for that long. And considering... Uh, his so uh, may his uh, maybe may Yosha for all of us and his I'm not doing him justice but may his incredible schuyos be Yosha for all of Kali Israel and uh, may his neshama have an aliyah and uh, we we miss him but we will never ever forget the impact of Rabbi Horner's day. Anyway, on a totally different note, shout out Elliot Einbinder chose and this is in classic Elliot Einbinder style. Barry is going to make you laugh. He said, you know what, I'm gonna, I decided, I thought I was going to join the DAF in the summer. I figured, well, why wait till the summer? I'll join it today. <laughs> Elliot, let me tell you something. It's not all going to be like this. My dear friend David Palmer said, um, it's going to be, you're going to love Sota, guys. And that, but, that's, but we have a couple of days till then. So without further ado, we're in the middle of corpse dust. And, uh, you know, we're in Mesechus Nazir. Nazir is not allowed to touch a mace. He's not allowed to drink wine. He's not allowed to cut his hair. So that has set off uh, throughout this Masechta many times in discussion of many different kinds of corpses. And the topic of Tumah becomes very primary. So what happened yesterday was, as we were leaving off, uh, nine lines down on Samech Daladam and Beis, and we have our pacer over here, Andrew. Don't worry, we're, 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 we're just on pace to finish beautifully Bezrat Hashem. What day is it today? Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, we need we need to finish this tomorrow. Okay, so uh, this, this is the penultimate day of Masechus Nazir, so we're going to savor it. Uh, we had the idea that if you let's say to the extent that graduating right from your tuma requires going to the mikvah, right, and then having what's called of shemesh, right, having the sun set down. So we were talking about at what point of graduation are you considered to have graduated from the, uh, when you're a Nazir, from what was called Tumas Tahaim, right? Um, the, and so we said that, wait a minute, why would you have graduated when it comes to the carbon Pesach? You already brought the carbon Pesach and you've already done what, what you were supposed to do, right? Because as you might recall, the two scenarios, and it is a little bit of a Dafyomi coincidence, the two scenarios where 
um, we are mekel with Tumas Tahom are by a Nazir who has finished his Nazirus and has already, right, uh, and, and has already, like, cut his hair and gone to the mikvah uh, following his Nazirus. Or somebody who has brought his Korban Pesach. And again, after bringing the Korban Pesach or finishing his Nazirus, discover that there may have been a contact with Tumas Tahom. Anyway, when it comes to bringing the Korban Pesach, says the Gemara, so then already we know that you finish bringing the Korban Pesach, there's nothing left to do. But, but with the Naziris, there's still, when it comes to the purification, technically, you're supposed to still wait for sundown. And it sounds like even if it's before sundown, you are already right going to be considered as if you had completed your Tahara process. And so in this specific context, Abaye said, asked the question, Abaye said, how can you say that you've completed the process if it's not sundown yet? And Rava said, well, you may not have, uh, the sun may have not set yet, but you have essentially completed everything that there's left for you to do. And when it comes to this specific kula, we'll call it, right, this specific idea of the of not having to do anything more with regards to the purification process than the Nazir in order to have already considered be completed with respect to Tumas Tahom, right? So when it comes to that specific context, just having nothing left to do is all you need in order to in order to be considered done with your process. It would be, the analogy would be akin to, Andrew, let's say, if you say, okay, you're graduating right on June 22nd and you say, well, uh, you're not done graduating until June 22nd is over. Like the clock has to start, the clock has to strike midnight on June 22nd and become June 23rd for you to be graduated. But really, how can you say that you haven't graduated yet if the graduation ceremony is already well and done and it's over? Once you've already finished the, the ceremony, then you really have already graduated. It's okay, there's still some day left to June 22nd, but there's nothing left to do. And therefore, it is as if you've already graduated. It's not like a great analogy because technically with regards to Tuma, in most cases, uh, when you're a Tvul Yom, as we will see, when you're a Tvul Yom, in most cases, you actually do have to wait there's an actual status of a Tavul Yom that matters with respect to Tumah. And so really you're not fully purified, but with respect to this specific Kula, it is considered, as Rava says, as if you've already completed everything. And so we don't make you wait until Erev Shemesh. The, uh, where we left off is by saying that Abaye, to his great credit, actually conceded to the great Rava on this point, And we were about to bring a Raya to that. Okay. Uh, by the way, this status of a Tavul Yom, as we've already noted, is, and we've, we've already learned before, we've learned it many times again, you're tar enough to eat Maeser Shani at that point, but when you're a Tavul Yom, this was a very big theme in Yuma, because it, you might recall that we made the Kohen Gadol, uh, we, we made the, uh, right, we, uh, on purpose, be Tavul Yom in order to, in order to, uh, stick it to the, to the, uh, to the, um, uh, what should we call it? The Karaites, right? In order, in order to stick it to, uh, to the Karaim, in order to tell them, to show them that we actually hold that a Tavul Yom can eat Maeser Shani. Anyways, he can eat Maeser Shani, but he can't touch Truma, right? Or Kachim. So be that as it may, that is the status of a Tavul Yom. Why do I bring that up now? Because the longest Tavul Yom that you could ever possibly have in history is the case of about 
to read as follows. So here we are, nine lines down on Elliot, this is the hardest it ever gets. So if you like this, you're going to love everything that follows. Um, Abaye conceded to Rava on this topic of a Tvul Yom again, that once you've done everything you need to do, you no longer need Harav Shemesh. How so? Ditanya, because we have a Brisa. What's the topic of this Brisa? It's a woman who gives birth. We, a little bit of a Dafyami coincidence because we're about to read, right? Tzav, Shmini, Tazria, Metzora. So this is the Parshas Tazria, right? We start talking about a woman who gives birth. What does it say when a woman who gives birth? She is Tameh, right? After uh, the, fir- the first 14 days following the birth, she is Tameh. And then after that, she goes to the mikvah. Uh, and then... Until the 80th, 81st day, right, she, her, if she has any bleeding, that's not going to make her Tameh. And then after those 66 days, which is to say on day 81, from the time that she, from her birth, she brings Karbanos. And during that entire 66-day period, meaning from her Tevila on the 14th day until her 81st day when she brings the Karbanos, she's considered a Tevul Yom. Right, that is what the pasuk specifically says. Pasuk in Vayikra, Perikid Beis, pasuk Vav. It says, "Uvim los yemei tahara levenu levas tvi keves ben shnatol leola." Right, so the melos yemei tahara at the end, the melos at the completion, right from Malay, uh, at the completion of her yemei tahara, she's going to bring this karbana, right, the keves and the venyona lachatas el pesach al moed. So says the Gemara, the Tanya. What does the Bryce say? Yom Mlaos Tavi. It's on this day of completion that she has to bring the carbon. Okay. Toch Mlaos Lotavi. But if Rahman al-Tzlan, she had another miscarriage, some sort of not only uterine bleeding, but she had a miscarriage during, right, the interim 66 days. So whatever, right, carbon she's going to bring, right, if, if she, if it happens on the actual Yom Mlaos, on the actual day of her carbon, right, that she's supposed to bring 66 days later. So if she has the miscarriage well before, so that carbon she brings on her Yom Laos is going to actually discharge uh, all of, is going to be enough to, right, uh, accommodate and be a purification for everything that she had done, the, everything that happened prior during the 66 days. If, however, it happens, after the korban, or a little bit later in the day, so then she will have to bring a second korban, right? In other words, says the b'risa, you might think that she doesn't have to bring another korban on any, on any delivery that happened before the yom laos, right? Okay, but she has to bring a korban for any any delivery that happened, right, even of a, of a nafal, even of a uh, miscarriage that she has after she completes the day for her, for the daughter, right, for, for the birth of her daughter. Even though, again, even though it's before the day, the day ended, right? Okay, so says the Gemara, Talmud Lomar, Uvim Laos Yemei Tara. What is the Bryce teaching you? That this Pasuk, Uvim Laos Yemei Tara, on the completion of her days of Tara, Biyom Laos Tavi, in other words, once she reached her completion day, even though she didn't bring her carbon yet, it's as if, right, she's already 
been completed, and then therefore it is only if she had the miscarriage she doesn't have to bring another carbon. But if it's during the actual day that she has to bring right the carbon, then tavi, then she does have to bring a carbon. So on that point that we said in that brisa, Amar Rav Kahana, shiny hacha the mechzer carbon. Rav Kahana said, wait a minute. Over there, Rav Kahana was trying to explain that if she has not yet brought the carbon, right, because she's lacking a carbon, mechzer a carbon. If she's lacking a carbon, so then if she has not yet brought her carbon, she when she suffered her first miscarriage, right, or and or the the second. This is a happens to be a case where she has a second miscarriage. If that happened before she was able, right, to bring the carbon, she would have to then bring a carbon for those. For for she would have to bring a carbon to have tahara for those. Uh, and so, therefore, certainly, if she's not yet brought her carbon, because but she's not yet brought the carbon, she will have to bring a second carbon. But certainly, if she already, but but certainly. Right, if it happened beforehand, then the carbonus that she could bring will in fact purify for whatever miscarriages she had had before. And it is on that point that the Gemara could have asked, and the Gemara does ask, on that point in the Brisa, the, the Gemara asks, Hasam Nami Mixer Erev Shemesh. That there, we never brought up the point, and this, this by the way, if you're really into it, um, we're, this is going to be coming up in Nida, something to look forward to on Daf Mem, this whole sugya. But at the time, we said we could have asked about hair of Shemesh there, in other words, just to be, has two components. As we've just said, this woman is the longest Tevulium of all time. She takes, right, a Tevila already the tefillah, don't forget, was after 14 days. And it's only 66 days later that she brings a carbon, right? That's unbelievable. And through that entire time, she has a technical status of a tefillah where she can eat maizashani but can't touch kachim and truma. And yet, we say, as most tefillah you have to wait for hair of shemesh. So Barry, I ask you this. Why, and it's a convoluted topic, and I am glossing over uh, a few nitty-gritty details, but the fact of the matter is that the discussion in the Brisa is that of a korban. That's the point. But we never bring up the fact that, after all, as a full yom, she's waiting for her of Shemesh. The whole demarcation point of when you would or wouldn't have to bring another korban based on one or two miscarriages that you had along the way, the the demarcation point is the korban. Why is the demarcation point not her of Shemesh, after all? What a full yom always is, is someone who had already gone to the mikvah and is waiting for sundown. So why are we talking about the korban, right, when sundown hasn't happened? So that's what the Gemara says. We're also waiting for sundown. You know what? That's quoting his Chavrusa and dear friend and Rosh Shiva Rava, his Bar Plugta. We see that Abaye conceded to Rava later in life and used the same words, Shimshami Mela Arva, that the sun is going to set regardless. And so, just as sure as the sun will set, because the sun will set, that is already not relevant in this context. Of course, like I said, 
Tzvoyam does become very relevant, right? One, they can they can already eat truma and kachim, one, and 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 they cannot do so until the sun sets. So there is a very halachically important aspect to the sun setting. But with respect to whether you would have to bring another carbon, uh, everything that has already been done will have been done once the carbon is brought, right? Bimlosi meitahara, and in in that context, just like in the context of the context of the nazir, once you've already done everything that there is to do, which is to say, once you've already brought the carbon, then you've done everything that's expected of you, and once you've done everything that you can do, it is already as if the carbon was brought. And with respect to the Karbanas, at least, we do not wait for Erev Shemesh. This is something that he picked up from Rava, and Abaye quotes, and that's how we know that Abaye himself conceded to Rava. Okay, so now, we're in the Mishnah, four lines up from the bottom, Samach Dalad and Samach Dalad and what does this Mishnah say? Hamotze Meis Here we are. More corpse stuff. What goes on here? You're discovering, we're digging up bodies now. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark here, Andrew. You find, what's betchila? Well, it means that you're basically uh, doing some gardening. You bought, Andrew bought a new house. Uh, and on, uh, he brought a new house on Glen Avenue. And, uh, and you know, he's starting to dig in the, in, in the backyard and do some gardening as he does. And he finds a corpse. Uh-oh. Now, I use the example of Glen Avenue, but we're going to soon see Let's assume that this is all in Eretz Yisrael. And I should have said that in the first place. Why, why would you buy a house on Glen Avenue? That doesn't make any sense. Andrew buys a house in Zichor and Yaakov. There we go. Oh, you're a Tzfas guy? I'm just saying that's where you're going to find a dead body. <laughs> Fine. Andrew buys a house in Tzfas. And he's, he's getting into, the, uh, into that mode. And he starts digging up and doing some gardening. And, uh-oh. Motza mes betchila, which means, betchila means that you never really uh, expect to dig up a corpse, but if you're in an area where like corpses are already dug, dug up, so then that's not anything new, right? Tzfas is where actually Rabbi Isaacson always says, the city is not so, the city is kind of dead, but the cemetery is alive, okay? So in this particular case, you shouldn't be surprised if it's a cemetery, but if it's not a cemetery, it's a residential area in Eretz Yisrael, mind you, so then that's called a motzimes betchila, like a surprise. It's for the first time, okay? You never knew, in other words, that, uh, that there should have, there was no reason to believe that there was a grave here. That's what it means for the first time. So, moshkav kedarko. And it's lying in its usual manner. What is this? Well, there's ways that the Gayim bury their dead and there are ways that the Jews bury their dead. Mushkov Kedarko means that you have reason to assume by the positioning of this corpse that this was laid down here on purpose, which is to say there's a difference uh, between Rahman al-Tzan, an unmarked grave of a fallen, of somebody who like, whatever, got lost on a tiyul, Rahman al-Tzan, right? And like the, the body was never recovered, right? That body has a certain orientation or a person who had like a proper burial just happens to be they didn't get to the cemetery for whatever reason, you know, Rachel Imenu, right? What never didn't make it to the cemetery? She was buried on the spot Derech Efrata, right? But but the orientation of how she's buried, right, is the way that you would properly bury a mace, right? With the, the you know whatever that orientation is, with the uh, so the arms folded in a certain way, etc. So Mushkov Kedarko. So this person 
was not this is not a mishap of somebody who just like kind of um, was left for dead in the teul. This is the person who actually was buried. So if that's the case, not lovest fusaso. By the way, what does any of this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with Nazir? So we're going to see. Um, our previous Mishnah talked about raglayim ladavar, right? Raglayim ladavar usually means that when you have something, when you have evidence to indicate something. So here, uh, we're just having a, what Rabbi Safar Shlita calls shar yarakos, right? Like a few other examples of where raglayim ladavar doesn't actually mean evidence, but raglayim ladavar means when you have a reason, reason to believe that something was a certain way, or if you have sort of like a precedence or a bias to leave things as a status quo, so we have like just Shari Yerakos, like a few other Mishnayas in an almost like unrelated random context where that uh, kind of quasi-logic is, is employed of Raglaim Ladover, as you will see. So again, that, and, and besides, it's Nazir, so corpse is just like the, the topic du jour. It's never inappropriate in Masechus Nazirs. So... You find this corpse, it's laying in a way that makes it seem like somebody put it there on purpose and actually buried it in an unmarked grave, okay? So not lot vest the halacha is that when you dig such a, such a corpse, you can't just dig the skeleton of the corpse, you have to, fusasa means the underlying earth underneath because you want to make sure to rid this area of tuma, right? You don't want to have tuma in your backyard. Now, typically speaking, Barry, if somebody puts a mace, if somebody sticks, uh, buries a mace in the ground, uh, and, and it's a cemetery, you're not allowed to undo a cemetery in Eretz Yisrael, Barry. You can't just move a cemetery, okay? So the only way that you'd be allowed to move, this is the halacha of moving uh, corpses here, guys. And we've already discussed it a little bit in Nazir. The only way you'd be allowed to move such a corpse is if it was buried temporarily. Now, because it's an unmarked grave in a rando area, and it's just a single unmarked person, even though this person was put in on purpose, one can assume that it was buried there temporarily. And it is for that reason that you're allowed to move this mace into the local cemetery in Tzfas, Andrew. So, but when you do so, you certainly don't want to have any tumma in your backyard left over, right? You want to have Kohanim over for a barbecue. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to take some of the earth surrounding this mace and you're going to dig it with the earth to account for any corpse juice that may have seeped into the ground. And so you take the earth, uh, uh, three etzbos, as we'll see, uh, we learn it from the Yerushalmi, you take uh, three etzbos worth of earth around this, this corpse and you relocate this dead person, right? That's what notloves tusasa means. You take this uh, corpse with the earth around it and you move it, good. Shnaim, uh-oh. Andrew's doing more digging and he finds a second corpse in his backyard. Not lawn vest Okay, so listen, two does not make, uh, does not a cemetery make. You know, two people can have gone in the teal together. And so you take them and the halacha doesn't change. You take them and the earth around them. However, matzah, shlosha, uh-oh. Once Andrew digs a third, three's a crowd, Andrew. So now it's already like a little baby cemetery there. And at that point, if there's a separation between the first and the third body that he dug up, anywhere between four to eight amos, what's this four to eight amos? This is already um, a reference, for those of you using the article 64b3, you see a little bit of a diagram. What the diagram is indicating is that there was a very specific way that they used to bury. I never know how to... Uh, 
I never know how to uh, pronounce the word sepulchral, sep, 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 sepulchre. You know that there's uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, sure. It's it's it means a um, it means a a burial chamber, right? So there was a very specific um, uh, design that they used to have, and that design basically, and we'll see it. We'll see it. Bezat Hashem and Baba Bastra and Kuf There 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 is a design of what it looks like, and it is that design that informs that this was a burial ground. That's all that that diagram means. So you don't have to get too uh, granular here other than to understand that if that the, the, there was a certain um, spacing to this design of the burial ground. And so if it was closer than Daladamos, then that's probably not a burial area, right? Because they didn't bury them so close together. But if it was further than Shimona Amos, so then it probably wasn't a burial uh, area either because as you know, when one goes to a cemetery, they see what? Certain spacing between Kvaras. So that's all it means. It means that you have to basically assume that, it's, that you can assume that it's a cemetery if you see that the spacing seems to indicate as such, right? In other words, Barry, in order to be an organized cemetery, the, the bodies can't be like on top of each other, but they're not gonna be like a million yards apart. Right, it's you can't say that if, that if let's say let's say Andrew because Andrew's of means let's let's be honest there's kosher money there he has an, a ninety acre plot in Sfas right so if he finds one in one end of the of the plot and one all the way on the other end that's not a cemetery make Barry like there has to be close enough that it looks like it's organized but far apart enough that it looks like it's organized it's not a mass grave on top of each other and it's not. Right, like two rando bodies or three rando bodies on different parts of this humongous expanse. You bought the whole mountain, okay? So that's the point. So that's all it means. That's what it means. If it's close enough that it looks like it's organized, but far apart enough that it looks like it's organized, that is called a shchunas kvaros, a graveyard zone. Now that sets off a whole new, uh, a whole new protocol. If it's, again, so if it's just individual bodies, so then you're going to be able to dig up each one individually with the earth around them. But if it's a shchunas kvaros, a, like, as some of Tzfas is, right, a real cemetery, so then as we finally arrive Samachayim and Aleph, and Andrew's about to have an ulcer from the fact that we just got here, so now that you say that it's a cemetery, then you have to look from that area outward, 20 Amos, now you've got a cemetery on your hands, Andrew, in your backyard, and you have to treat it as such. Right, okay, and, and so now, now if you find even one grave, Within those 20 amos, so now that extends the property of the cemetery, another 20 amos, because Andrew, if it's a real Kavua cemetery, you can't move that. Now that has to stay. You can't uproot a cemetery. Individual graves, yes, because again, an individual grave, you have to assume that it was temporarily there until we could find a proper cemetery for this corpse. Whereas if it's a cemetery, that's already Kavua. You can't uproot cemeteries in Tzvas. So again, you have to now figure out where's the perimeter of the cemetery. Says the mission of You find within 20 amas outside, because that's the Esrimama is the perimeter around the cemetery that you have to keep. Why so? Says the Mishnah, and this is why the Mishnah appears here. Because now we have this perception of the place has switched. 
until you found their super organized third corpse. You can assume, okay, rando body, it happens. It's, it's fast. People go on walks alone here. Okay, a second body, uh, lightning can strike twice. Three body, that's already a crowd. Now it's Raglaim Ladavar. Now you switch. It's a paradigm shift. The Raglaim Ladavar is, you no longer look at this as a backyard with corpses in it. Now it's a cemetery. Okay? And so now, that's what it means, Raglaim Ladavar. She'ilu tchila matzo. Because even though he found the isolated grave at first, not loves trusaso. He would have been permitted to remove it with its underlying earth. What is that last part? <laughs> last part is, speaks to the illogical nature of Raglaim Ladavar, which is to say like this, Barry. What would you have said? See, Andrew is the kind of guy that once he finds one body, he's going to start digging up the whole backyard. So if you dug up all three bodies simultaneously, now you've got a cemetery on your hands. But what this means is, is a fascinating idea. That, let's say, right, Barry's the type of guy that as soon as he digs up the first body, he's going to get rid of it and he's going to go bury it somewhere. Aha! Uh-huh. So guess what? When he digs up the second and the third, that's not considered the second and the third anymore. He already got rid of the first one, right? Two days later, when he digs up the second, that's for the first. That's considered the first for that day. So it's not logical, Barry, right? In other words, within one week, you could have dug up three bodies, and it's the same three bodies. But whereas Andrew dug them all up on the same day, he's got a cemetery in his hands. Barry dug them up one day after the other, and each time he removed it. And once he removed it, it's as if he did want a single body on three separate days, and that is not considered a cemetery. So Raglaim Ladover is almost like the optics, or whatever Raglaim Ladover means, uh, that we treat it, it's not so logical, right? But we treat it like a cemetery depending on how it went down, okay? That's what that means. Okay, so now we get to the Gemara Rabbi Yehuda. Matzah prat lematsui. Now he's just explaining, the Gemara just explained what we already said outside, that if someone was found, that's a new discovery, as opposed to matzui. Matzui means it's a known grave. Obviously, if it was, a, we're talking about unmarked grave, Andrew. If you see, you know, a matzeva and says, here lies Herman McGillicart, so obviously that was done intentionally, and therefore that would have to be treated differently. You're not going to exhume that, okay? Mace prat laharug, and similarly, if you find a corpse, so if it, so if it looks like it was laid down on purpose, so then you treat it like a corpse. But it excludes somebody who looks like he just like died on the battleground, right? Or slipped and fell. Or harug really means harug that somebody right, uh, slayed him. If he looks like a, just a murdered person who was left there, so then, of course, you can, you can exhume him, right? Because um, that obviously is, you, you can move. And that wouldn't be considered cemetery material at all because that, that body needs to be moved. Mushkov partly Yoshev. And again, lying down in its proper way as if somebody laid them down on purpose, that would be considered one of three that you would consider for a cemetery. But if he's just like in a weird sitting position or something like that, looks like he was there accidentally, so certainly that would not be considered one of three for a cemetery. That's considered a rando corpse. Kedarko munach ben And similarly, in Kedarko would be the usual manner that you would lay down a corpse, would be considered one of three for a cemetery, as opposed to if he's just sitting there in some weird contorted uh, position, like uh, he was in the middle of a game of, what's the game where you're contorted again? Twister, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> right? If he looked like he passed away in the middle of the game of Twister and, no, and he was left for dead, so then, um, so then certainly that would not be considered a cemetery corpse. That's just a rando uh, corpse on this. Okay. Now, Tane Ula Bar Chanina says, Gemar, Meis Shechasa, Ein Lotfus of Lashkunas Kvaras. We already talked about this. If you have an incomplete corpse, 
he doesn't get the Tfusa or Shchunas Kvaras, right? He would not be eligible to make one of three for a cemetery. We learned this already uh, in, in, the, in the Nuns, right? Like a few weeks ago. Okay, so right. So it has to be a complete corpse. Oh, honey, my time alone. All of these, what's the reason not included that you don't have a Tfusa, right? That you don't have to dig up the earth around it and you would not be eligible for part of a cemetery community? Well, part of it is because you might say that it's not even Jew. Now, by the way, this whole idea of tfusa you don't need for a non-Jewish body. That you could just move. Well, the point is that you could just move without reason. Okay, you have to be careful when you see a corpse if it's a Jewish body left there on purpose. So then, that's called a Jewish cemetery. That's what you would need to have a reason to relocate and to think that it's actually right there put there temporarily with intention of moving it. But if you have a corpse, uh, a non-Jewish corpse, then that you'd be able to move regardless, okay? Matzah Shnaim. Okay, so now, more elaboration in the Brisa. If you found two bodies, Rosh Hashanah, Betzad, Margolos, of Shalzeh, that the head was at the side of the feet of, of one was at the side of the feet of the other, or Rosh Hashanah, Betzad, Margolos, of Shalzeh, head of one with the side of the feet, uh, and you know, obviously they're, they're packed like uh, head to toe like sardines, Ein lahem tfusa. That, ein lahem tfusa, you're not going to have to dig up earth with them. Velo shchunas kvaris, that's not shchunas kvaris, because again, that's not how we bury our dead. We don't do that. We don't pack them in like sardines. Matzah shlosha. But if you found three graves, ha'echad yaduah shnayim tchila. What if one of them was a marked grave? Right? Here, here lines, here lines, uh, right, uh, Yankel Pippik Finkelheimer. And it has an actual, right, grave that. And that one is known. But the Shnaim, Tchila, Tchila again means that it was a surprise. That's what Tchila means in the Mishnah. So one of them you knew about, the other two were a big surprise that you dug up. Oh, Echad Tchila Shnaim Yiduim, right? The first one was you didn't expect, and the other two are known. Yesh Lahem Tfusa Vein Lahem Shchunas Kvar. So there, there's a unique halacha. You can relocate those bodies to a proper cemetery, but you would need to move the earth with them because why? They're Jews, right? It's, and they were put there temporarily, but they, but you can assume that they're Jews, right? In other words, you're watching the, the orientation of how you found, there's two, diff, there's a couple of criteria here. The orientation of how you found this body indicates that it was put there, uh, laid to rest in a proper fashion. But the fact that it was not marked, it was like an unmarked grave, indicates that it was done so only temporarily with the hopes of one day moving it to a real cemetery, such that even if not all of the three Right, even if one of the three was actually marked, the other two would have, all, all of them would be able to be moved in order to not create a shchunas. You wouldn't turn your whole backyard into a cemetery because not all of them were marked and intended to be left there. Some of them were assumed that they were going to be moved and there temporarily. You want to hear a story to this? Here we go. So he found two marked graves, Rabbi Yeshevav did, and one that he didn't expect. So he said, wait a minute. Two marked graves, and then a third, maybe that's a cemetery. Rabbi Akiva said, no. All the effort that you did, right, was for naught. Right? Right? Why? Because, again, it's a halacha l'moshim Sinai guy. This is not going to be a, this is not going to be logical. You're not going to be able to attach logic to this. Because if you have three, as Rabbi Kiva says, three marked graves, that's certainly a cemetery. 
And as the Mishnah says, three is a crowd. If Andrew digs up three unmarked graves in one day, that's also a cemetery. But that's a halacha l'moshe misinai. It's not going to be logical. Right? The, the irony is that if you have three totally unmarked graves, that is a cemetery. But if you have two marked graves and a third that's unmarked, that's not a cemetery. Right? It's because <coughs> so, because the, 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 they don't match up. Right? You need to have three of a kind, so to speak, in order for it to be considered a cemetery, whether it's three marked or three unmarked. But if you have two of one thing and one of the other, it's not considered a cemetery. That's a little bit of ironic halacha. And, and it's almost like, um, a t- it's almost like Chazal, we're saying, it's a beautiful idea that Chazal's conceding that this is halacha Moshe Misina and not logical. And that's what all these Mishnayas are doing here together. We're taking some illogical ones that are judged based on the Raglayim Ladavar, which is the concept of like the, almost the optics of it, of, or the bias that we are, allow ourselves to have because of the halacha Moshe Misina, even though it doesn't make rigorous logical sense. And so we're kind of putting them all together right here at the very end of Maseches Nazir. So now 13 lines up from the bottom and Samachayam and Aleph for the two dots. Note Lanvez Tusasan. What is the amount of earth that you would have to move with the body? What's the shear, as it were? What's the source? Yaakov Avinu says, uh, take me Mimitzrayim. Mimitzrayim sounds like it means from Mitzrayim and with a little bit of Mitzrayim with me. That's all. That's the source. Now, as it happens, you might recall, Yaakov Avinu never ended up being buried in Mitzrayim. Right, he was embalmed and then taken to Eretz Yisrael to Maris and Machpelah, but he didn't know that that was going to happen. Right, he, he, how was he supposed to know? So he assumed, or he had reason to believe that there would be a possibility that he'd be buried in Mitzrayim. That's where he lived out the rest of his life. As it turns out, that didn't happen. But ba- assuming that he'd be buried in Mitzrayim, he said, "I want that burial to be temporary, and then take me and some of the earth of Mitzrayim with me, meaning some of the earth around my corpse, back to Eretz Yisrael." And that's what it means. Me mitraim tol imi. Take some of the earth along with me. And from there, we have this like halacha l'moshmi sinai that you take some of the earth around from the corpse when you reinter it, or whatever that term is, when you rebury it in Eretz Yisrael. Kama shir tfusa, what would be the shir? Pirish Rebbe Lazar, noitil afar tichuach, all the soft dirt around is supposed to have some, assumed to have some corpse ooze. V'chofer bivsula gimel tzvas. And then dig into the virgin soil, it means... Right, a depth of three etzbos. The rush here quotes the Yerushalmi as the source of that. Uh, the three etzbos here. Fine. Now Mesve, we have a brisa that says v'chamashir tfusa. How much is shir tfusa? Pirush of Elazar Tzadok notelas akismin. You take the chips of wood v'etzaksasos and the clumps of earth. Now, the chips of wood would be if you're buried in a in uh, a wooden casket. So then all the clumps of wood and the clumps of earth. This brisa, mind you is a problem because when you have the Mishnah in the second parak of Oholos and also the Mishnah, the, the, the Gemara that we learned earlier in an Aleph, we said that all this stuff is not metame, right? Remember when we, we had the ladle full of corpse dust? It's back. You know, what is metame and what isn't metame in Nazar? Because after all, Nazar can't touch Tuma, and therefore if it's a whole corpse, of course he can't touch a whole corpse. But uh, in this particular case, we talked about what constitutes Tuma and we says that the wood chips maybe not. And here it sounds like the wood chips Maybe yes. So you have to reconcile it. Maybe for the con- in this context of how much you take with the mace, that, that's a different halacha of how much you take. Be that as it may, you take the chips of wood and the clumps of earth, you throw away certainly what, uh, what certainly is not from the body. In other words, what certainly didn't come 
from the mace, and therefore it's for sure not Thomas mace. And whatever is questionable, Suffolk just bring along with the corpse because you don't want to leave Tuma in Andrew's backyard. And the remainder is going to be counted towards, considered towards the rove binion of the skeleton of the corpse. And a quarter cup of bones. And the ladle, here it is, ladle full of corpse dust. All of that is the Right, all of that is what you have to take when you exhume the mace in order to relocate it so that Andrew can have a tumor-free backyard. The question is, why is this a mace fake? Because the Bryce here makes no mention of the three at Spout, the aforementioned three at Spout. At spout. So, what, so what gives? So the Gemara, who the Amar Kihai Tana? Rabbi Lazar was speaking according to the Tana, the Tanya, who has the following Bryce. Uvachamashir Tfusa. How much is the Shir Tfusa? So in fact, the Brysa says explicitly a different Brysa. So there's two different Brysas that say different things. One does not mention the Gimel Atzvaz. One does mention the Gimel Atzvaz. And the Amora, Rabbi Lazar, uh, as if it's not confusing enough, the Amora, Rabbi Lazar, holds like the Brysa that's not like the Brysa of the Tan of Rabbi Lazar. Right, the Tan of Rabbi Lazar has a brisa that doesn't mention three etzvos, and the Amora Rabbi Lazar quotes the brisa that does mention the three etzvos, and that is the contradicting brisa, and that is the brisa that he quotes to learn this three etzvos din. Okay, so now Bodeki Menu, the bottom line over here on Samachem and Beis, and we turn to Samachem and Alf as we turn Samachem and Beis, and we have plenty of time, three minutes for Ahmed Beis. Here we go. Amar Rabbi Bodeku Fina, if he checked his field, okay. Uh, and Bado Kupina. And then check if found, found the second body. So this is what we were saying before, that if Barry was doing it, so with each corpse that he finds, he would just remove it. And then Bado Kupashkach, so if he does it one at a time, and so, and with each one, he removes it, and then when he finds the third body, Lo Gabe Hanach Trey. This third body is, does not have to be transferred to where the other two were moved. Lo Hani Trey, Gabe Haichad. And neither do those two bodies have to return to the site. In other words, Right, had he dug them all up together, it's like, uh-oh, this is a cemetery. We have to leave these three here in a cemetery. But if you did it one at a time, so then they're not related to each other. Or, some say the ruling of Rabbah differently. That once permission is given to remove the first two bodies, you can remove all of them, including the third body. Wait a minute, how is that so? Sorry, we already gave this away. Say, so, wait a minute, you already removed three bodies. Why can you remove the third? As the Rush explains over here, the very bottom line, uh, the Rush actually uh, uh, says on the very bottom line on Samachay and Beis that we do not read this line because really that line is meant for, right, uh, that, that line is meant for the Kula, right? We want to keep Eretz Yisrael actually uh, actually Tahar. And so that's not really the reason why you would allow the removal of the corpse. Be that as it may, that is definitely a consideration when we are dealing with these corpses. We want to keep Eretz Yisrael Tahar as much as possible. So we don't want to uh, take a certain area and declare it as a graveyard unless it is so. So now, two dot six lines down. Um, okay, if you found, oh, that, that was the rush over here. Rabbi Lom Matzah Eretz Yisrael. What did he say? I read the, the, the wrong rush. The rush on the side. This is not a real svara. 
Right? In other words, it doesn't take much. That's what Svarak Tana means. It doesn't take much to be Matari Eretz Yisrael. Because you have Kohan running around, right? The base of Mikdash be rebuilt very soon. Everybody has to be Tahar. So you don't want to be Matari in area. In other words, we don't want there to be a proliferation of Says the Rush, since here there is not a Yadiyah Vadais of this being an actual cemetery, we are, that's why we allow the counterintuitive Kula Barry of if you remove it one at a time, you don't declare it as a cemetery. That does have a shred of logic that if you move it one at a time, we're not going to make it a cemetery. But what motivates it is this desire to keep Eretz Yisrael tar and to not have a proliferation of cemeteries. As opposed to the two dots, six lines down, one says, What if you go 20 Amas and you don't find a dead body? Right? It's still considered a graveyard. And there is where the rush takes out the line. It says, Wait a minute. That line is supposed to be Lakula. That, that's why we don't make it a cemetery. And that's why the rush says on the very bottom line that we don't, we don't say this reason because after all, in here, in this context, the halacha is that it is uh, remaining a cemetery. So we made some headway because instead of being six lines down, we're now about 10 lines down. We'll start tomorrow, Bezat Hashem will resume with the Mishnah towards the top of Samachayim and Bez and Bezat Hashem will be Zoka to finish the Masechus Nazir tomorrow.